have you on, Rachel Jankovic. I'm Becca Merkel. And we are having to do a second whole podcast in this week to get it to you a day late. Well, we're going to pretend it was think, on time, Rachel. I think the well might have run dry in our conversational options at Just this now. Point. Well, because this is our take <laughs> two, but also we've already sat in the car and chatted and had a whole cup of tea. I think we tea. could give a quick little um, admonition just for those of you who are waiting to hear what we think about the new film. <laughs> and we oh. actually have pulled our previous episode. Not because we spoke too frankly, but no. because we may have spoken ineptly <laughs> in some areas. <laughs> however, however, I still think that the no. motto of redeem the time but not the love yeah. would be still yeah. stick with it's us. It's like, like <clears throat> did you don't. think about going to redeeming love? Think again. Think again. Don't do it. Don't Save do it. Do not. Your time. Do not consider it. And oh, my word. Just There's for... for approximately 16 different reasons. Right. But the one that I had just read in, in Hosea that was making me laugh. I, one theme is for real in the book of Hosea. And that is that idolatry is whoredom is bad. Right. Like it's not a good thing. It's not an admirable thing. It's not a romantic thing that you are whoring after other gods. It's not one of the good jobs. Also when Israel goes whoring after idols, it's not because of how victimized. Trauma. Not because of the. Not because it's not of because the bad God things. wasn't caring for Israel, no. and so then Israel decided no. to whore after other gods. It's not the way it goes. But the thing that was making me think it's funny is that all the Christians who are persuaded that they ought to go whoring after other gods <laughs> by watching watching inappropriate movies that are loosely based on ideas loosely transposed from the book of Hosea by a romance novelist. I mean, like, here's the thing, guys. There's just, it's like eight layer dip of bad ideas. Just don't Not to mention schlocky, sentimental, (laughs) and sleazy. It's kind of like the three S's of that. And mm. and I how about four S's also subpar, <laughs> schlocky, <laughs> sentimental, sleazy, <laughs> subpar cinema. There we go. We got it all out there. It's and you know if you don't know what we're talking about, that stay in the dark. Keep it there. Keep it now. Yeah. I I feel like my first wave of reactions was that this is an entirely unnecessary topic. Like surely, yeah. It's like guys, and then I started seeing waves of people on my Facebook feed heading out for their third trip to oh see word. it, calling in all friends and neighbors to please come with me to watch this. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, maybe this is more of a hot war than I thought it was. Like well, I think I just kind of disregarded know, it as I a thing to the great length of reading the plot summary of the novel on Wikipedia. That's really going the extra and mile, I think. I'm just going to tell you here and now that as far as narrative arcs go, <laughs> it's horrible. It's like, it sort of seems like kind of the world's biggest run-on sentence. Except for each time a new, you know, a new act in this 72-act storyline is introduced. It is yet another skeezy sexual something or other. Yeah, and then and then out of nowhere, there's some guy who gets a word from the Lord that he has to marry her or something, and then it, the whole thing looks as dumb, stupid, inappropriate, and we vote no. Yeah, we vote just, just but stop. But it's also true madness. that in that the book of Hosea does not lay out this particular whoredom of Israel slash the whoredom of Hosea's wife as a glamorous time. Well, I don't know if this book really does either, but one thing I the can movie say does. is from the earliest times of her youth, she got sold to a pedophile here. Yeah. She raped just by everybody there. I, I don't she's know. She's just it's a hurt just, little chicken. It she's looks not awful. like actually. And it's not like this isn't like, honestly, the sort of tragic story that some people do live, but in Hosea, you are dealing with 
high-handed rebellion, leaving right. your husband and going to whore after idols. Well, and like I was telling Becca, the there's the other kinds of prophetic. Like, this is like a... I mean, I, I feel like what's happening in the book of Hosea is sort of... It's like a prophetic theater. It's like prophetic judgment illustrated in being acted out. Like some other prophets. Isn't this accurate? Are you pausing because you're thinking that's not accurate? I'm not pausing. I wondered if you were looking like you oh. want to throw a penalty flag on what I just said. No. What I was going to say is there are also times when the, isn't it Ezekiel? Is it Ezekiel that has to lay naked by a campfire and cook bread on human dung? Well, he has to lie on one side. On one side, but he also has to cook his bread on over yeah. human well, dung. Well, he gets an exemption for that. Oh, yeah, that's right, because he was like, please, no. Like, it had to be just an animal cow dung. Yeah. yeah. But either way, <clears throat> the point is, there are times that the prophets were called to act out something extraordinary yeah. to show the people their offense against God. And the thing, the truth is, the, the story of Hosea, you know, like, he marries this prostitute. It's, you know, the kids are named... Isn't it like, I will not like, be your God and you will not be remember. my people? I think I one of them is named last that. week. That's awkward. But anyway, then, um, but the fact that he goes after her and takes her back and all, like, it's such a beautiful picture of the gospel. Mm-hmm. It really is. That it didn't need to be turned into a brothel film. film. A brothel film full of sex scenes so that the Christians could really learn what redeeming love is like. It's sort of like, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and I especially since someone... I think she's supposed to be like, you know, just struggling with all the guilt and all the shame and everything else. Fine. Whatever. But, but the truth is the way that story goes, she was nothing but a victim from the moment she was right. born. And that is not the story of Hosea. No. It's not. The whole reason it is such an amazing story is because she was very, very culpable. You know, right, and it, and that she wasn't trying to minimize her the hurt. culpability. Yeah, does not and, does not make it a better story. And and there's a lot of things that that it is appropriate to read in the Word of God. That is not the same thing as being appropriate for actors to act out, for producers to film, and for people to go watch sensationalized. Well, can I just say one of the things? Like when we talk about stuff like this in my lit class. We had this discussion not long ago. And it's like, you actually can, like if we had a seventh grade play and you had on stage one of your seventh graders pretend to kill another one mm-hmm. on stage, that is the sort of thing you can actually pretend. pretend. Yeah. But if you put somebody naked on stage, mm-hmm. they're not pretending to be naked. There's they no, are. Yeah, there's no pretend if immodesty. You, no, there's no pretend just, having sex with someone, right. even if... Pretend licentiousness. Well, I should say there is pretend. There, could, but, there is pretend, but not... Right. Immodesty, but, licentiousness, nudity, these things are not... No. You're committing the sin. On film. On film. Yeah. And it's not the same as... as you know, pretending to shoot someone. Or pretending to steal something yeah. where you did not yeah. actually commit the because, sin. Because you are no longer in the realm mm-hmm. of pretend when you have gone and committed that indecent act. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, it is also <clears throat> the sort of thing where you should remember the verse about not even... We're not even supposed to mention the things that are done by them in secret. Right. Much less wallow about in all the gory details. You know? It's Amen. Just, so that was our, our quick hot take is redeem talked, the time and not the love. <laughs> we talked about that last time. But then we edited it. In because, retrospect, we edited it so hard we threw away the episode. Not because of what we said about redeeming love. It was because we thought we spoke slightly inaccurately about the book of Hosea. <laughs> In retrospect, we thought we didn't. We actually our rather didn't. our rather pithy remarks about the yeah. movie were maybe bogged down a little bit in our offhanded assessment. I think we didn't. We actually, you know what it was? It's not that we were inaccurate about Hosea. It's just that we didn't then qualify it with the right. rest of the context of Hosea. Yeah, that's true. You know. So one thing that I noticed this week. So we had a catch up day in the Bible reading challenge, and I went back to. 
there was a little stretch in Deuteronomy where I did not read Deuteronomy. I only read the New Testament. I got the New yeah. Testament reading done and not the, not the Old Testament. So, out of the clear blue yonder, I'm turning up in Deuteronomy 11. Like, I'll just mm-hmm. pick it up here to read two days of my sure. lost Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy 11, I'm, I, love, I love how this... I love how that works anyways. I have thoughts about this, but I, so I pick up that chapter and you know what? It has that really famous, um, section about when you rise up, when you walk along the way, when you like, when you're supposed to be talking to your children about this. But the amazing, the thing that really blessed me is that he actually, what it's actually saying in Deuteronomy is your children will not remember crossing the Red Sea. And then it goes through this whole thing that is all about God's promises in the land, like how the rain will come from the heavens for like God's blessing on his people, God's protection of his people, God's, and it's, and it's a really beautiful whole chapter, but that part about, that's what you're supposed to be talking to them about when you rise up, when you're on the way, when Mm -hmm. you're, um, and while there are other places, obviously to talk about. God's law and binding it on your heart and talking about it all the time. That that expression in Deuteronomy is actually about talking all the time about God's love and what God has provision and his provision yeah. and his past deliverance and his like telling your yeah. children this the stories. This is not super related. I have two kind of unrelated thoughts. One of those is as you're raising Christian children, this is just a thought. You want to be sheltering them from a lot of darkness that's in the world, right? We're not wanting to, we're not wanting to go run them down to the abused women's shelter to get a little look-see around and soak up all that. You know, like we're, we want to shelter them from seeing hideous sin, being invited to hideous sin. Like we want to, we're not trying to run them through all that, but that in some ways you want to be really careful to not keep your children naive to the real consequences of sin because it is way more likely that your children will get an invitation to the sin before you have told them about the consequences consequences. like that the world will find a way to get them an invitation before they have any idea because the consequences is a very suppressed part of the, like the world Mm -hmm. doesn't want to talk about the consequences, you know, like the world wants to act like you have to wear wear a mask, but homosexuality has no risks involved in it. Or you have to, you know, like whatever things they want to invite them to sin. And it's amazing how you can shelter Christian children. Not only you want to shelter them from the sin itself, but that in your sheltering, you could keep them ignorant of what you're not trying to raise them to be little Pollyannas that don't know. Right. Yeah. And like the, the likelihood that they could get totally blindsided by an invitation to some kind of sin when they have no actual concept of how destructive it is. Because in the yeah. church, in a church body, there's tons of walking wounded usually. Mm-hmm. Like there's tons of people who've been devastated Absolutely. by sin, by whatever. And the interesting thing is that we don't, everyone, and it's good. I'm not suggesting you want to uncover that in the church. It's a good thing that we want to cover people's shame and cover like, Mm -hmm. like the church is all about forgiveness and restoration, but it's amazing that you could actually make your children blissfully unaware, like totally unaware that there are people having really miserable yeah. lives yeah. because of sin issues. Yeah, absolutely. This is just a thing that I have been thinking about lately, like how you, how to go about adequately communicating the yeah. weight of sin yep. to people who have been sheltered from yeah. lots absolutely. of it. It's an interesting no, thing. I'm okay. Totally agree. I, on your, this is a side note. Okay. The thing about the catch-up day, the Bible reading. Mm-hmm. My hot tip that's working well for me this time around is if I'm caught up and I hit one of those catch-up days, I skip it and I go to the next one, so I'm one day ahead. And so I'm using the catch-up day for a future time. Becca's just basically falling am, into the get-ahead day. 
She's I'm, like, yeah, I'm not falling into it. I am masterfully owning <laughs> it because then you are using it as a makeup day, but you're logging it in advance so that then if you miss, you didn't get behind. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's the That's same good. thing. You took the day for the day you missed, but you did so, it in advance. So here's something that I, I like was, it. this is another thing I was thinking about. And I actually think that this is really interesting. You all know that I love the Bible reading challenge and that, of course, we invite you all to do the Bible reading challenge. But I don't ever want people to actually think that I think that the Bible reading challenge (laughs) is specifically inspired by God and nothing else is because I don't think that. Yeah, of course. But the benefit of, and in my current experience, I used to do the Grant Horner play and now doing this, the benefit in my experience of having like any plan, any, like, I'm just reading the Bible. I'm, I'm going to read the whole Bible, not mm-hmm. I'm going to read some Bible, right. but like, I'm going to read the Bible yeah. is that you get, when you go grab your Bible and you're like, what am I reading today? There is a submissiveness of posture that is, I'm going to read what I need to read today, you know, like whatever plan you have to cover the whole word of God, you're reading what you're reading that day in a way that is showing up for the word to work on you without you trying to steer or direct it specifically, right? Like you're showing up and there is a submissive posture or there should be, I know that someone could probably find a way to not be submissive in this, but where you want to be under the word, like you're, you're just showing up, but you expect the word to work on you. And I was thinking about how the feeling of, I need to be encouraged. Yeah. Let me look up some Bible verses about yeah. loneliness right. is trying to get your hand on the tool. Like, let me grab this tool to try to fix my problem instead mm-hmm. of, instead of being the body on the table under the surgeon's knife. You're wanting to be the doctor who is stitching his own wounds up. Like, let me grab after this. And I think one of the most wonderful things about just submitting to God's word and just reading the word, just reading it is that oftentimes you would not have ever prescribed that you would never have thought here I am having this kind of a day. I shall read Habakkuk. Exactly. (laughs) Hosea. I'll read that. Or I'll read something that you would never have done that. So it wouldn't have made sense because we don't actually have the sense that needs to be had to know how to fix us. Right? Like our problems are beyond us. Well, also sometimes the problem you think is the presenting problem. Beautiful sense. I know. I'm just... Lighting the up mountain, the mountain like getting that little pink. pink. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, no, the problem you think that you're having is that you're lonely and sad, but maybe the problem God is working on is your pride. Or discontent. Or self-centeredness. Yes, and, and you don't know. And one of my friends said this, and I think it is wonderful, because she was talking about going to a counselor or going to a therapist or something, and how you could, you want a therapist to get to the heart of the thing. Like you're wanting to be like, please get to, you know, like you're, you're pursuing healing or something Mm -hmm. with a counselor or a therapist, whatever. And you want them to get to the heart of the thing, but no human can actually do that. So it's not that no counseling is ever helpful, but it's that God's word actually cuts deeper than any human counseling would ever be able to. Right. So, and it's funny how much more, people are inclined to want a a person to try to do this for me than they are to actually just get under, get under the word. Like be like, Lord, use it, do whatever. I think it's uncle Gordon who said, we like to think of ourselves standing over God's word, looking, you know, pulling it apart, mapping it out, figuring it out. And he said, but it's, it's the opposite. We're the dead cat on the table and God's word is dissecting us. Like yeah. we are not dissecting this. Well, it is doing I think to the us. temptation to think like I need a therapist because that's a person I could actually talk to and they can, t- you know, mm-hmm. I can listen to them and stuff. But you know, prayer is where you're talking to God 
And often we I really feel like, like that understatedness of, you know, <laughs> prayer. Well, it's when you're talking to God and sometimes you think, you know, there's people who are like, yes, I pray, I do, but then I don't get any answer back. And it's like, well, he did write a book. So you talk to him and then you listen to him talk to you. Yeah. And that's how conversations work. So <laughs> <laughs> you get that back pray, and forth. Receive. Right? You, Pray, receive. Yeah, you listen to what he said. I need to do this again. I know I've said it in the podcast before, but that that funny organizing book, uh, The House That Cleans Itself, that yeah. I read ages ago, sure, um, had a thing in it about pray your way through your house. Oh, yeah. I remember you talking about that. People who, I was going to say, people who think like, well, God doesn't, like, I don't hear directly from God. One of those things is that you might be in a weird rut about how you're praying in the sense that Mm -hmm. you might do a formulaic praying Mm -hmm. that and you're like what are you expecting a carrier pigeon to come back and give you a word you know where instead of maybe breaking your prayer life out of whatever confines you put in it and trying things like one thing I've done before that I should also get back into, but I haven't done it recently, is when I'm folding the laundry, praying for whoever it is, whoever's oh, thing yeah. I'm folding. Sure. That when I'm folding, I'm actually just really praying for my whole family and praying mm-hmm. for the people. And you know what? The thing is, is that you absolutely hear from God when you are doing that. Like, because one of the things that that makes you do is notice his answers. Yeah. Like, if you're praying about a problem that you're having with one of your kids and you're really asking the Lord for something and then the next day you open up your Bible to say Deuteronomy 11 that you missed and it has a thing that just totally makes you realize I have not been talking to my children about God's faithfulness to us and his provision and his... It's like there is this straight back Mm -hmm. and forth of like... I think it's just God is not in any way silent to his, to his people. And, and even not just that, but like the heavens declare the glory of God. Like your whole life is God declaring himself everywhere. And I really like that one because there is no speech nor language where their their voice voice is not heard. heard. Although actually I think Ben told me that in the Hebrew, it could be, there is no, like, they have no speech or language. Their voice is not heard. So I don't know oh, interesting. which way it goes. But either way, the sky Except for is, it, makes, it makes more sense because it says the heavens declare the glories of God. Well, that's why it would be an, an interesting yeah. thing to say. I'm saying either yeah. either way. It says day unto day uttereth speech, night, night unto night, night reveals knowledge. knowledge. Yeah. But, so it reveals, but the question is, do they do it with language and voice or do they do it a different huh. way? Or is it saying there is no speech nor language where right. their voice is not heard? And either way, whether or not that verse means that exact thing, it's the truth. There's right. no speech nor language where the sky is not over us. Mm-hmm. You know, like everyone has the sky and every day and every night, there it is declaring the glory of God. And yes, all of creation speaks and so mm-hmm. the question is, are you just sitting there going, no, I wanted it. I wanted it more like a lightning bolt that would deliver me a message that told me exactly who I was going to marry. <laughs> yeah. And also just like, we want it to say something. Well, I I know I've said this on here before that when I was working ages ago at the crisis pregnancy center, somehow I came in it was a different evangelical circuit than I'd ever been in before somehow I came into this custom bible where they subbed in your name for like bible verses I feel like that's extremely stressful well it was but the particular example was like speaky comfort to what was it? Speaky comfort to Charlotte and tell her that her warfare is over. And <laughs> huh. So like any, any time, uh, whoops, yeah. whoops. Yeah. But, but my point is, is that sometimes the kind of communication that people are looking for yeah. is a certain kind of comfort fluff that they sure. wanted. Yeah. That is not the way that God is. That is not the voice. Right. 
always. Sometimes God comforts us very tenderly in a way that feels sentimental. I don't mean to say that there's no time that you could be just emotionally comforted by God because we are. But I mean, sometimes what we're demanding is that when what we're maybe being told by God is a rebuke or a, you know, like it's, we're not actually in charge. Well, I saw, I will pull this up because I screenshotted it for some reason. Um, it was a little quick ad that I got from a maybe Instagram and it it's called God's message mm-hmm. you know to me today God says your pain saddens me I do not like watching you suffer I am with you I will help you you are not alone I love you and I was like that is abominable that is so bad let me just take this opportunity to say that's right up there with the Jesus storybook bible (laughs) I think this one might sail past it is is worse but God says your pain saddens me it's like well why doesn't he fix it then if he's God or I do not like watching you suffer it's like well why don't you get around and fix my suffering that's the problem with someone who's illiterate with actual scripture trying to comfort I was going to say, that's the most, I that just, is so uncomforting. My, my I know it's controversial that I say I don't like the Jesus Storybook Bible, yeah. but specifically in the opening of it, I just, to defend the fact that I threw that in there randomly, it says, and then God said, hello, light. And I find that horrifically offensive. And because talk about taking the creative power out of what God said, he's talking like light already existed. Like, like it's, oh, my buddy, my buddy, Wuddy light showed up. And then it says, instead of it is good, God says, you are good. Oh, man. So it's like personifying creation, almost like it's God finding new friends. It was, but that's just right out of the blocks in that one, (laughs) which is how we, we were initially going to try to not notice the illustrations. So like <laughs> we started it thinking let's just press past that damaging work on the cover. And then the first thing that happened is sort of a well, to me that's like the problem that that shows is not just well, a totally unnecessary because the youngest children in the world understand <laughs> let there be light. Like yeah. hello light does not bring clarity to what happened there. It only muddles what happened. And there's no, like, we had to pick a word a child would understand happening there. So there's no reason for it other than just taking creative license with it. (laughs) And that is a thing I don't hold with. No. And as it turned out, I think I've said this on the podcast. Man, I feel like, guys, I think, I, I think I'm revealing my before. dirtiest, darkest secrets. We've, we've spoken about this but before. But some of you might listen to this and not want to say it. But anyways, we ordered the Jesus Storybook Bible because it was recommended to us by someone that we thought we we were like, sure. all right, worth a shot. Luke read the opening section <laughs> while being like, no, that's not what he said. He said, let there be light. Like, he was editing yeah. it. And then we threw it away because Luke didn't even want to donate it. <laughs> Well, our offense against the Jesus story book Bible is vast. So I have probably also told this little vignette, but we chucked out a child's Bible and I, maybe it was the Jesus story book. Well, I actually don't know. We made it all the way to the tower of Babel, at which point we were like, stop, stop, stop. (laughs) And we threw it away. (laughs) And it was because in this particular telling of the story of Babel, the people made a tall tower so that when they went out hunting, they'd be able to see it in the distance and find their way home. And you know God. He, he won't have that. that. No, he hates it. God is opposed to navigation. So much, in fact, that he'll destroy mess up everything. the world. Well, not it. destroy, but scramble. Well, destroy your navigation to towers. To make sure that yeah. you can't get home again. I mean, like, what? Wasn't that, this? was that the same Bible that had, like, the people being naughty around the flood was, like, people pulling each other's yeah, hair? I think and so. you're like, you know, though, what was going wrong <laughs> when God just decided to wash the earth clean of it was not actually 
kids staying up past their bedtimes well, and, and people pulling each other's hair. If you hair. tell the story like that, you are teaching your kids that God is a major overreactor. Well, right. And that's not accurate. Not it, guys. Summaries either. So, okay. I had a thought this week also about... I like that we're just going through... Don't watch Redeeming Love. Don't Jeep. read the storybook Bible. No! What? I get we should get a positive recommend in here. I was going to say, when it comes to little kids, because I was having some time to think about little kids this week. Uh, when it comes to little children, your level of trust in God correlates with their level of security. Like a fearful parent is like I'm saying that the way your children feel secure in your home and in your parenting and your relationship is a direct reflection of how much you trust God for his faithful love and care for you. Well, because I think if you are fearful and anxious and worrying and stressed... There's no way that doesn't translate to the child who's but going there, to sense all of but the there's uncertainty. Also, there's also no way that you're not doing weird white knuckle grips on your children because you're not open-handedly holding them before God, offering them to God, and trusting Him. No, but I'm just completely. saying also fear and anxiety is totally. very, very contagious. Totally. But what I was going to say is that there's a lot of places where you could be, like that this is where you could be having discipline problems with little people in your home that it is a good idea to evaluate what is your what theology are you practically living out like because Mm -hmm. we talk about this all the time renaming sins and things if you're just like I'm just really worried about this and Mm -hmm. such I'm just really where we could say it in a way that you wouldn't be totally ashamed to say to your friends like you wouldn't be ashamed to say to your friends I'm just really worried that he's not you know, a Christian. My child's not a Christian, or I'm just okay. really worried about this and such. Or I'm just really, you know, I'm just a worrier. I'm just fearful. Or I'm just whatever. Yeah. And not realize how much you're teaching theology to your children. You know, like that you may yeah. say objectively, I believe God is sovereign. I believe God loves us. I believe God will provide for us and protect us and that we can trust him entirely. But I'm not living that theology out right now. Like I'm, I'm living something else out. And it is like your children could believe one thing and be living out a different, you know, like you, you were just passing this along. I'm just thinking about this because I think it is a really primary, primary level of parenting through all ages, not just when they're little is that you know that you're actually trusting God. You're actually walking by faith. You're actually giving it to God. Well, I do think that many times people keep what they believe about God as theological truths that they are fine signing off on. Like, yes, he's all-knowing. Yes, he's omniscient. Yes, he's omnipresent. Yes, I believe that he, um, you know, oversees all things. And yet, I'm going to stress and freak out and wring my hands and have a panic because right. for some reason, what I believe about God, I never allow it to touch down in my life. Right. You know, so if you do believe that God is all those things, if you believe that he loves you, if you believe that he is sovereign, mm-hmm. then what are you stressed about? Take it to him in prayer. You know what you're supposed to do with it. But we're also told kind of clearly to be anxious for nothing. Just and kind so of clearly. when you, when you have this massive list of things you're anxious about, that's disobedient. Yep. And so you can confess it and ask God to take those cares and anxieties from you because we also believe he does that. Mm-hmm. So you can hand those things to him. And that's your job. That is you obeying. And actually what you believe about God is then accurately reflected. I feel like I always have to, you always want to say this because it's really important that you have a really good testimony with your children. And that testimony is not made by you not sinning because that's actually would be be great if you could. (laughs) But I'm saying, my point is that it does not mean, oh, you blew it. You can't have a good testimony because you sinned. 
Right. The re- that's another expression of our faith that we acknowledge our sin and he's faithful and just to forgive us yeah. our sin. And that, that we don't, it's not like, I think that in different Christian worlds, there are parenting worlds where parents only admit their sin. And then there mm-hmm. are parenting worlds where parents never admit their sin. Yeah. And it needs to be in between those, like where it needs to be parents who are aiming to not be sinning publicly in front of their children and at the same time quick and joyfully make it right when they do quick and joyfully confessing your sin and getting it right when you inevitably don't be awesome someday yeah (laughs) right turns out your kids are there for all the up close views of how you're handling it if you are being anxious if you're worrying if you're stressed if you're scared all the time then it kind of doesn't matter what you're teaching your kids in the catechism questions. Every day, they are observing that you don't trust God. Yeah. And so, Why what, they? what is the lesson they're going to actually learn? Is that right. God doesn't have this handled, and I'm freaking out. <laughs> or, or if God has it handled, we don't trust him anyways. You know, like, yeah. we don't like his decisions. Or we won't. maybe he's not listening to us. Maybe he forgot you were there. Maybe he's, you know, right. it's like Elijah taunting the priests of Baal. Maybe he's gone on a trip. Maybe, maybe your God is in the bathroom yeah. and just isn't, you know. Right, which was a legitimate taunt because you read some of those old classical tales like the Iliad. It's a genuine problem because... There, Zeus is out of town. He's in Ethiopia, partying yeah. with the Ethiopians. And Sometimes Zeus is trying to rape someone and no, not listening to your but needs. But he's not going to be back for like nine days. And yeah. so <laughs> we're kind of hosed until he gets back. Or he goes to sleep. And there you are. You're on he the back. And that's the whole, I mean, that's the whole point of this whole episode in the Iliad is Hera goes to seduce him so that he will then go to sleep so that they can get away with a bunch of hooliganism on the battlefield yeah. while he's not watching. And aren't you thankful that that's not one of the problems that we have with God? Right. And so if you were an ancient Greek and if Zeus was the man at the helm, you would have something yeah. to worry about. If you were Big worshiping time. Baal, he might be in the bathroom. I, was I don't think, know. Well, actually, let's just take this to something that's currently happening. Not many people are currently telling you to worship Baal. But the whole self-worship scenario. That's a tough one. And if you ever wanted to talk with a, about this. a God that gets down on the job, it's, it's you. <laughs> a God I that mean, lets itself down quite often. Oh, my word. And you think about the hilarity of the problems we have with our own selves. You know, I was going to work out, but I couldn't make myself. Like, talk about a powerless God. Or yeah. I was going to diet, and then I saw yeah, the mallow tea only. cakes. <laughs> If only, Rachel, you could accept yourself. Then, then it would be glorious. Then you could have body positivity. In the great glorious afterlife, I could fatly model underwear on the internet. (laughs) And, which really is an extra thing. What a treat for everyone. Actually, now that we're just on the roll of telling everyone how they must take a position on everything in a negative light, let me tell you one one of these things. Christians act the fool about things like this because Christians think yes unrealistic body problems is a bad thing and they're not wrong no they're They're not not wrong no so then someone's like I propose we put the fat ladies (laughs) in the underwear shots and instead of everyone being sensible and just saying I propose we stop with the underwear shots (laughs) like like it's no better to have scantily clad attractive small people than it is to have scantily clad big people and but everyone's like great blow for justice what we need is more for whatever reason the internet keeps trying to suggest videos to me of of large large people in underwear dancing or like really all I I report all, I do too. I report yeah. all ads like this. I'm, I'm like, a big, quick reporter. No, I hate... Well, at least I'm like, please notice that I am not looking for no. this sort of no. information. But it is true that um, 
we get easily snookered by the yes, you are correct. You mm-hmm. have diagnosed mm-hmm. a problem, therefore, whatever you propose, whatever is you the propose solution, is the solution. And I'm, I'm in. Um, you're like, <laughs> wow. We made a problem with one kind of a sin, and so now we thought, let's make another hideous layer on this cake yeah. of something else, you know? Yeah. Like, now yeah. for a new evil now, cake and, layer. And the thing is, this goes back to our earlier discussions, is that if you are good and pudgy and portly, should you be content? Should you be grateful to God? Should you not be in a big fluster of discontent and evil over it? Well, yes. Don't cry out at the altar of a God that would make your body shape more popular. No, but, but what I'm saying is like, if you are large, then you are, you should be content and you should be grateful to God. And then if you are going to try to change that, you do that from a position of contentment and gratitude and so forth. So there's that. But it, while it's true that you should be content and grateful, it is not true that you should then take immodest pictures of yourself to post to everyone to show how content you are. This is like, because now Becca, you, have, you <laughs> have not demonstrated contentment, you've demonstrated immodesty. <laughs> And this is the problem is they think there's this little pee and thimble thing. And then Christians think, oh, look at how content she is. Or like. Instead of, look how not dressed she is. Or like, I was heavy. I did a ton of work to get fit. Now I'm posting inappropriate pictures of myself. And that is actually not a look who's healthy. It's look who's spiritually sick. It's like we're not making progress. And you should be content. You should be grateful. That's good. That's not the same thing as being publicly indecent. And we sometimes get those two things a little bit modeled up. But again, you can't pretend to be immodest on stage. You just are being immodest on stage. Or what? whatever. Yeah. I just... Becca, is there anything else that we, we want to tell people? Toured, no, you can't do it. <laughs> we have toured the circuit of things here. What else we, is there that we uh, want to just sort of we like to dismissively s- yeah, handle? Be censorious mm-hmm. about something else. Um... <laughs> I think we have we I'm like have I gotten through all of my censoriousness yeah all that all that occurred to me right now I did yeah Mm -hmm. I have a hot tip what is that um if you can do this I realize this is mm, applicable to probably a narrow field of our listeners however really a good idea guys is to have a table in your house that is for homework oh. and then what's even better is what I've been trying to do but I didn't do it today so you know I'm giving you a tip that I myself have not practiced today but it is to set the table for dinner in the morning oh, like when I'm it. doing the whole cleaning the kitchen up and I'll tell yeah. you why because if you set the table in the morning you are already ahead when it comes, when you're coming around to like those final questions of should I put this in a serving dish or should yeah. I just slosh it yeah. wildly out <laughs> onto people's plates, <laughs> you're already yeah. you're like a little bit ahead One on that. Closer. You're because you're there. You're like mm-hmm. well, and the other reason for me is that if I I don't like having my kids have to set the table. My kids do the dishes every night, so. The more that I have done in advance, the more it's like, come sit down and enjoy dinner. Then you guys are cleaning up rather than welcome home, do this, do this, set the table. And then if I'm telling the kids to set the table and everyone's dying of hunger and knowing that they have to do the dishes instead of enjoying the set table, they feel like, what if we didn't use this or what if we... I'm with you on that. I don't have a separate table for homework. And so my dining room table is the scene of everything. It's homework, it's flower arranging, it's just everything. And so, yeah, it does mean that there's a wild screaming panic at the last minute. I mean, I get it, but it has actually been one. I was like, if there was a way, if we didn't have as much room as we have right now, and we have the two dining room tables, I still would try to do that somewhere else just because... Uh 
set when the homework goes before and after dinner. It's yeah. really nice to have it just happening. Yeah, no, that's... not on the dining room table because it just means you can that. bounce around mm -hmm. too. And you could leave your stuff there because I'm always having to make everybody clear all their stuff off, right? So that we can have dinner. That's my best tip that mm, I have come up with. It's good. Yeah, my hour timer is, continues to challenge me. Is it still working? You it's still amazing how few hours I have in a day. No, oh, it's shocking. When you're aiming for one hour increments of work, you're like, wow, I can't do that. That's so hard. Yeah. Really has improved my overall productivity to be trying. That's great. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. Not that I'm getting real clean hours done, <laughs> but I'm trying. I didn't do the timer, but I have slots in my week that are like, this is when I do it. And then I try to block that off. And um, it works up until you stub your toe by getting sick or being yeah. out of town or something. But so far, I actually really like it. So today my job is to plan next week's menu and grocery list and all of that. And I'm like 90% done. So when I get home, I'm going to finish that. But good you job, know. you. Good job. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, we eat too much food at our house. Mm. Well, yeah. We're having pork fajitas tonight. It's nice. They're really good. And it used to be, I haven't done them, like as my kids got bigger, it got harder to make enough of the fajita, like to do mm -hmm. fajita filling was like, yeah. it wasn't like, it used to be throw it in the one pan that I made right. the fajita filling and now it's just requires more of me. But... It's a really good recipe that I think I got from Cooking Light ages okay. ago, mm -hmm. but it sort of morphed. Okay. And it was one of those ones that after making it the first time or whenever I made it first, I realized like it was one of those ones that became an instant regular meal in our house. So it is pork tenderloin. Tenderloin, you know, like <laughs> like cotton lawn, yeah. um, pork tenderloin that you slice it thin, not like crazy thin, just slice it, and then season it with cumin and lime juice, and that's it. And then you cook that in a hot skillet or whatever, and it doesn't really sear. It will just look like it doesn't look fabulous. It looks just like blonde meat yeah. when it's cooked. And then you throw in red, like red and yellow peppers, yellow onion, and cook that at a high heat. And then you add the pork back to the peppers and onions, and then put like a teaspoon of sugar on mm -hmm. it, and then splash soy sauce on it. Oh, and it deglazes, it deglazes yeah. de the pan, and all of a sudden you have with the sugar and the soy sauce, like clings to the, like it makes it all prettier, like dark and... Pretty. I do. Oh, and yeah, then you put mango on it, like you slice Ariana. up. So then I pull it off, and I make that. What I don't know what the brand is. It's like a funny brand of a little foil bag of seasoned rice. I buy the saffron rice. Okay. Only for this that we do it with yeah. saffron rice, but we do a flour tortilla and the saffron rice, and then the pork, mm -hmm. the pork filling, sour cream, and mangoes, and it's really good. It is a Sounds really great. good meal and it is like one that I, I used to make it all the time because you don't have to consult anything you don't have that yeah. many ingredients to get out well I do one that sounds slightly similar but it's pork tenderloin that you do the same thing you sort of you know sear it and it looks blonde but it's with shallots and jalapenos in there that are chopped fine mm, yeah. and then you add the sugar and the liquid I think it's just water it's just sugar and water but soy sauce would be good but sugar and water, and then you let it kind of caramelize and get that mm -hmm. dark thing on it. And then you do it with a pineapple cucumber that sounds awesome. salsa. But I, it's, I get like crushed too. pineapple, so it's little small bits, not yeah. big, huge chunks. And then cut up a cucumber into small bites, cilantro, red onion, and I think that's it. I'm trying that to remember. Maybe some good. lime, fresh lime juice in there. I don't know. And then you do a sriracha sauce with um, yeah, like a half sort of. Mayo I do, sometimes and I sour do mayo cream. and yeah. sriracha. Sometimes I do sour cream. Anyway, and you put that on top. It's just real good. That sounds really good. In a, in a the flour soy tortilla. sauce is 
surprisingly convenient because you don't need to salt or season. Like the soy sauce just handles that whole Mm -hmm. thing. It's totally delicious and I recommend it. If you wanted to go more, if you were wanting to be more generous, I mean, then I would do things like cilantro and like you could add to it, but it's totally sufficient the way it is. It's a good weeknight fajita. That's what we're having tonight. So that's what I I have to go make. I'm serving up leftover soup from soup night because I have like Hmm. probably three quarts left. Well, the other night, so I ordered for the restaurant supply all these pork tenderloins. And the other night, I roasted six pork tenderloins. I did five pounds of potatoes Mm -hmm. roasted, two heads of cauliflower, and a whole bag of broccoli roasted. And I made a sauce, like a mushroom sauce. There's not even a specklet of a wow, leftover. well done. I'm like, piggy wiggies yeah. at my house. Actually, what they are is a lot of growing children who were really hungry for a meat and potatoes yeah. kind of dinner. I usually but have still, to do you're like, I thought yeah. I was shooting ahead of us. Like, yeah. I was like, I'll do mm-hmm. six tenderloins. Yeah. That's what I'll do. And then I'm like, well, yeah, look what so you guys, look what you guys ate in no time at all. Indeed. Oh, well. It's a good life. Spending all your money on groceries. <laughs> stuffing them into people. Yeah. All right, guys. Until well, next time, don't waste your time on evil movies, <laughs> evil books, <laughs> evil thoughts. Evil photo shoots. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Actually, I'm just going to say it because we're getting censorious. Let's just say it, Beck. Valentine's Day is coming. You may not do a boudoir boudoir. photo shoot. No. Christian women, knock it off. (laughs) Knock it off. This is not one of your options. Yeah. So just getting that out there. Just getting that out there before we we go. We had nothing left to censor, but we did. Call your photographer. Cancel it now. Doesn't matter if it's a woman photographer. It does not. Does not. Well, maybe Maybe it matters. it It, It actually might matter. But it, it could be cause for more concern. I don't know. Let's just say you're no. not allowed to do that. And no. don't do it. No. And stop the nonsense now before yeah. it gets any <laughs> momentum in your thought life. Until <laughs> <laughs> uh, next time. I just, man, if I think of one other thing to be censorious about, we yeah. can just keep we going. We keep yeah. going. Yeah. I All right. Until next right. time. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to check out Becca and Rachel's pages on Canon Plus. There you can listen to their audiobooks, watch their conference talks, and listen to the full What Have You archive. Just click the link in the show notes to start listening today. Today.